start with prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the truth that we just sang, that you are the one who has offered us your grace. You're the one who has loved us first, and, and we want to be like you. We, we want to be moved and, and to be transformed by your love, so radical, so scandalous. So we thank you, Jesus, for drawing us here. We thank you for loving us like you do. And we ask that you would continue to do your work in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. I count it a great honor to be with you. If you would do this, grab your notes out of your handout. You'll see we are launching into a new series called Transformed, and it's a perfect fall series because as you look around, you see some of the leaves around here changing, transforming just a little bit. You see the temperature transfer just a little colder in the morning, a little colder in the evening. You see um, the, the, the fall flannels of Seattleites coming out, it's sort of in full color, full bloom, if you will. And... Uh, Seahawks are getting back to their winning ways. That's a nice transformation. So all kinds of cool transformations happening. And what we recognize is that there is this thing called transformation uh, that happens in the life of somebody who follows Jesus. So what I want you to do is I want you to think it is all because of Jesus. We just sang that. It's, it's all centered on him. And, and um, remember that the verse we looked at a little while ago, it says, for God so loved the world. It didn't say for God so loved the good people. It didn't say for God so loved the church people. It said for God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. So whoever believes in him. So you just have to know it's all about Jesus. It's all predicated, started, uh, you know, sustained and finished uh, by Jesus because of Jesus. Now, if you're here and, and you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that this series is going to be, it's going to be radical. It's going to be powerful because it will really help all of us as a church family go deeper into our faith, that we'll experience more vibrancy. We'll, we'll have this recognition of transformation and embrace that transformation as we go through this series. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you are so, so very welcome. What you will see, if you track with us through this series, what you'll see is what it's all about. How, the joy and the hope that's found as we follow Jesus. And so I really hope that, that you will press in, that, that this will be a bit of an education for you too. But let, let me just go back again and talk about Jesus for a moment. If you are a follower of Jesus, then what that means is that there was a time, there was a day, maybe an experience you had, a, a church service, or, or this time where you prayed and you placed your trust in him, right? So there was this, there was this moment or this time where you decided that, that you were going to trust Jesus. You're going to place your trust in him. Remember, whoever believes in him. So this idea of trust or belief in Jesus probably has a few aspects to it. And I'll just go through this. You can kind of jot some of these down. You'll see if, you're, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, that this is just pretty, oh yeah, I'm already here. But, but one of the aspects of, of believing in Jesus is you believe that he was a good man who did not deserve to die on a cross. And you will also believe that, that he died, he, he went to that cross in place of actual sinners like you and me. 
So there was this innocence about Jesus that, that he did not deserve to die, but he went willingly in place of people who did deserve to die. And, and what you probably also believe is that he, by going to the cross, he purchased forgiveness. He, he, his sacrifice purchased grace for everybody. That there, there was this grace now that's being offered because of Jesus dying on the cross. And then you also believe that he rose again from the dead, that, that the grave is empty, that the, the stone rolled away from the tomb. He's not there. Jesus is alive. We serve a risen Savior. And the reason why that's important is because Jesus said it was going to happen. He said it's going to happen because I am God in the flesh. And so this was him proving that he was who he said he was. So that might be an all, also is probably an aspect of your faith if you believe in Jesus. And then you probably also believe that history will reach its culmination, that eternity will begin, the, the whole arc of this thing is driving to a point, and that point will, will be when Jesus returns and eternity begins and, and all things made right. So, so there, there's this trajectory aspect of your belief in Jesus as well. And then finally, and again, I'm, I'm really going through, this is super broad, you know, it's kind of satellite image of, of faith, but... It, you probably also believe this, that somehow your life now impacts eternity. That, that somehow the, the things you believe about God and the way that you treat other people and, and the, sort of the, 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 the things that you do and the things that you think and the things that you say and the things that you believe, somehow that has an impact on your experience forever and ever. Amen. That there's this recognition that it's not just do what I want and say what I want and live how I want because there's some kind of a, an eternal reflection to what's happening today. And, and again, what I'm saying about all of this is this all begins to provide the foundation for the series that we're going into about transformation. This concept of being transformed and and all of it is found in this book. This is a, not a read book, by the way. This is a do book. And we are launching into this thing. The, the, it's a devotion guide. The first devotion guide is for tomorrow morning. So we're hoping, and I know hundreds and hundreds of you have already picked up this book. Our prayer is that if you have not picked up this book yet, that you will today. On your way out, you'll stop in the hallway, pick it up today. Um, please, uh, and, and we're going through it in life groups. We're going through it with our young adults. Our students are going through it. Even our elementary school kids are going through it. I'm pretty sure the nursery, they're also cracking it and reading it. So just know that this is something that our whole church family is going through, but the concept that we want to unpack and embrace is this concept of transformation. If you're filling in the blanks, what you'll find is that there are three specific verb tenses that we have to understand. The first is the past tense, and if you're filling in the blanks, it's this truth that we have been transformed. That when you placed your faith in Jesus, when you said yes to a relationship with him, you embraced some of the things I talked about just a moment ago, that there was a, a real and an eternal transformation that happened within you, and it is the deepest and truest thing about you. And this is what it says in first, or 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
The old has gone, the new is here. So I want you to understand, this has happened. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is true for you. And, and it's so encouraging maybe to some of you, like maybe, maybe you do trust Jesus, but you still wrestle and struggle and there's still you know, trial and, and temptation and you're, you're, it's a tough road. You just need to take heart in the fact that what's most true about you is you have been transformed. The old way of life, the without Jesus way of life, that is dead and buried and it's gone. And this new with Jesus life is the life that you are now living. And even though you might look the same and you might look in the mirror, you say, oh, my hair is still thinning. I, my, my vision's still poor. Like, I feel the same. You are not the same. You have been transformed. Okay, this is powerful good By the way, we're going to talk about powerful good news all morning. So if you want to make some noise, that's way okay with me, all right? Uh, that helps me know your, you know, pulse. Yeah, I'm alive. Okay, so uh, have been transformed, past tense, that's true. Brings us to the next fill-in. The next fill-in is the future tense. We will be transformed. We will be. Even though this has happened in the past, you need to see that it, there is this future transformation that's coming. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will all be transformed. We will be transformed. Future tense, looking ahead. And that is referring to the moment when we do stand face to face with Jesus. When we are there and we are perfected in his perfection and we are glorified in his glory and all of the things that trip us up and all of the things that cause us to stumble and everything that just messes us up and keeps us hurting ourselves or hurting those we love and, and all that is just removed and we get to stand in his presence truly transformed forever and ever. It's just a beautiful, beautiful reality, right? So that is good news. Again, great hope, right? Great hope for us that, yes, we have been transformed, and yes, we will be transformed. And you can see there the paradox between the, there's, a, there's a now and a not yet reality to our faith. The, the now, yes, we have been transformed. The not yet, we will be. And both are equally true for those who have placed their trust in Jesus. Brings us to the last fill-in here, the last verb tense, present tense. We are being transformed. And this is where the bulk of our experience lies, is in the process of being transformed and seeing transformation work itself out in our lives. I want you to imagine it's like a caterpillar morphing into a chrysalis and then emerging into a winged creature. We are also going through that kind of transformation uh, being transformed from glory to glory, the Bible says. And yes, th this is our present tense. And, and, and just like the caterpillar to the butterfly, it, it, for us, this can be a bit confusing. And it can be, look a bit gross, right? And it can be difficult. And, and, and maybe even sometimes looking counterproductive. And is anything really happening? And I'm just stuck in this cocoon for a while. And, and we don't see it. But I want you to see that... that that that's the transformation that we're in right now. And I want you to know that the process of transformation, it doesn't get very much love. You might know people who have a butterfly tattooed on their arm, right? People will get a butterfly tattoo. 
There might even be some strange people who get a caterpillar tattooed on their arm. But nobody, you've never seen a cocoon tattoo, right? Because, because transformation process gets no love. We don't like that. We like the before picture and the after picture. We don't like the messy middle. And yet that's our present tense. So since it's hard and since it's messy, why, why do we need to embrace transformation today? Why does this need to be something that I'm bringing up, something that I want us to press into? And a couple of answers. One answer could be because this is how we discover our best self. And, and this is going to be true. That's true for everybody, no matter where you are, what you believe. Embrace the process of transformation. This is how you experience and discover your best self. And that's true. But there is a deeper truth that I'm going to talk about right now. And the deeper truth is this. There is an eternal reality that we are being prepared for now. And so as we look to that eternal reality, we, we want to take a look at that reality. We want to see what the priorities of that reality are and the practices of that reality. And then we want to embrace that reality now so that we'll be ready for it when it comes. And this requires practice because we're not good at it. And so we look at, we look at behavior. We look at character in eternity. And what character am I going to have? That's the character I want now. What behavior am I going to do? That's the behavior that I want now. We try to bring heaven into the present tense as much as we know how to do so that we can embrace the process of transformation. Because some of the stuff we do, some of the stuff we think, some of our behaviors right now and our thought processes will not be in eternity. Yeah, praise God. That's right. Some of you, that's a shock. Whoa, really? You know? Let me, let me give you a little mental exercise for a moment, just an imagination exercise. I know, and I'm sure you have known, people, not in this generation, not in the generation above mine, but let's say a couple of generations above mine, right? Great grandmas, great grandpas, great uncles, great aunts, those kind of folks. The, the great folks and the nice folks, loving folks, pretty, pretty good, you know, even pretty uh, much they love Jesus. Like there's a lot of good stuff about them. But they maybe just had this tiny little bit, just a, just a itty bitty little, just a, I mean, only a tiny, tiny bit of, of racism in their lives. And so I want you to imagine what happens when their journey on earth is over and then they're standing before Jesus face to face. They're, they're at sort, maybe sort of the door of heaven or, or they're ready to enter into eternity. Jesus meets them there. They look each other eye to eye. They love each other. In that moment, the, 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 you know, the, the person, the man or woman, they, suddenly they see all of the, the sin and the shortcoming of their life flashes before their eyes and they realize how incredible the gift of Jesus has been for them and, and the tears flow. And, and of course, Jesus, so gracious, he just, he lifts them, he, you know, he, he lifts their head, he looks them in the eyes, oh, I love you. And yes, I, I did die for you and I, I want you to be with me in heaven in my father's house forever and ever, he says. He says, so, so I want you to come on in, he says, but, but there is one thing. You can come in, but your racism can't. 
And the reason why is because, look, in, in heaven, in my Father's house, there are every tribe and every tongue, every people group ever, they're all created in the image of my Father, and they're, they're all here praising Him in their own language, in their own relationship, and they're all here glorifying Him because they were made in order to glorify Him. And so you can see how it wouldn't work, right? That if you come in with the I'm better than, or I deserve more than, or they're such a problem with this. You can see how that just wouldn't work, right? So here's the deal. If you want to cling to me, you cling to me. Let's go on in and let's experience eternity together. But if you want to cling to your racism, you've got to stay out here. And in my imagination exercise, the people that I love, they, they leave their racism immediately. They cling to Jesus. They enter eternity. But I want you to see it's, it's like that with so many things, not just racism. I know people, you know people, really good people. They're kind people, loving people. They love Jesus. They just have a little bit of just teeny, teeny, just an itty-bitty little materialism. And so when they stand before Jesus, he'll say, I love you and I want you to come in. But in order to cling to me, you're going to have to let go of your materialism. You can come in, but your materialism can't. Does this make sense? And it's not just materialism, not just racism. It's that uh, unbelief. You can come in, but your unbelief can't. It's vanity. You can come in, but your vanity can't. Or you can come in, but your lust can't. Or you can come in, but your entitlement can't. And I, and I want you to see that. It's, uh, you have to know this, and you have to get your mind around I'm not saying that's the picture that's going to be when you enter eternity, because I haven't been there. I, I, what I am saying is that that you can imagine that while Jesus is the one who purchased grace for us and grace is what covers our sin and forgives our sin and cleanses us for our sin, in no means, no way possible does grace tolerate our sin in heaven. Does grace make room for our sin in heaven? There's no way grace somehow accommodates sin in heaven because in heaven, there can be no unholy or impure thing in the presence of God Almighty. And, and, and that's why Jesus came, and that's why the sacrifice that he gave on the cross was so essential for us, so that we could let go of these things, right? We could be transformed. So, so does this make sense? And the big idea is this, if you're filling in the blanks, the big idea is we are becoming now what we will be forever, and so if we, are a, if we are a person who embraces racism more and more and more and makes more and more accommodation for it in our lives, then it's going to be much more difficult for us in heaven where that's not allowed. And the same thing is true with any sin you want to mention. And so we're becoming now what we will be forever. That's why we have to embrace transformation. It's completely practical. What I'm trying to say is that heaven is for butterflies. And right now, you and I look in the mirror and we see caterpillars. But there is this process of transformation that's going on, a process that began in the work of the cross where Jesus Christ gave his life as a sacrifice for grace. You need to understand that, that, that that has begun, so we are transformed, and it will be culminated when we stand face-to-face -face with him. We will be transformed, but our immediate reality is transformation now, and so we embrace it because we want to be 
the kind of people that are going to deeply enjoy eternity with Christ. The scripture that I put in your outline here is from Philippians 1.6. It says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. It's one of the most hopeful verses I know in scripture. That he's the one who began the good work, he's the one continuing the good work, and he's the one who will complete the good work. What I'd love to do now is show you a video. Uh, it's from Eastside Academy, the, the, the high school that meets here on Overlake Campus, and um, it's a story of transformation. So please watch this. My name is Ariana Robinson. I am 17 years old. I love my cat. Some of the things I like to do are be outside. I like to go on hikes. I like to venture around Seattle. I love being lazy also and watching TV and movies. Um, and that's about it. Around the age of 12, I started hanging out with the wrong people. The wrong people led me to doing drugs. Once I started getting into drugs, I didn't want to deal with responsibilities anymore, so I ended up dropping out of high school. It gave me a lot of free time, and I started stealing things to get money for drugs, which made me feel really horrible about myself and lonely, and that there was no way for me to go back to fix the things that I had done. The first time I met Ariana, she told me her story about how she had started experimenting with drugs when she was 12 years old, and I just couldn't even believe it, and how that kind of led to this life where she dropped out of school, she got in trouble with the law, and I was listening to her story, I was just kind of blown away, and then she ended up in rehab, and there in rehab she met a girl from Eastside Academy, he told her all about Eastside Academy, and in that moment, Ariana like suddenly realized that she wanted help. She wanted something better. And so she started doing her own research on Eastside Academy, started going to their website, finding out information, set up a, an appointment with the principal on her own. Um, because I think she realized in that moment that she wanted something different for her life. Neely is my mentor. She's not just my mentor, she's my friend. She's someone for me to talk to, someone for me to go to when I need help, and someone for me to eat lunch with and enjoy time with. My role as a mentor is to build relationship with Ariana. So she has another adult in her life that she knows is like with her and for her and encouraging her. So we talk about things that are happening in her life. We talk about stuff she's working on in school. We talk about her future. I think that Ariana's future is so hopeful. And I think that because when I first met her, it was like she didn't know that she had potential and she didn't know she had a future. So it's been fun over the last nine months to kind of watch her get excited and suddenly realize like, I can go to college, I can get a job, I can have a family, I have a hope. And I think nine months ago, I don't think she believed that for herself. So watching her believe suddenly that she has a future, um, it makes me hopeful for her future. Well, mentoring is one of our four main pillars of how we serve our students. We serve our students through high school education, 
recovery and counseling and mentoring. We believe that mentoring relationship is one of the most influential and valuable relationships anyone can have in their lives. So for our students, having a mentor, they could have mentors long after they're no longer students at Eastside Academy. And sometimes these relationships can last a lifetime. I think Neely spends time with me because she likes me as much as I like her. Eastside Academy is a high school for at-risk students, and it exists to kind of come alongside these students who traditional high school hasn't worked for, or students who life circumstances have made it hard for them to experience education or benefit from education, and so it exists to help these kids who are on the outside, who, who no one else is kind of helping out, and so they really are, in a sense, going after the underdogs, the outliers, the kids who, who need someone to believe in them. My life has changed in that I have been clean for nine months. I have hope and I love my family more than I ever have. It's been fun to watch her get excited about her achievements. I know that last semester she ended the year with being a straight A student and for her that was a huge accomplishment so it's been so fun to see her grow in her own belief of herself and her potential. My life has been transformed because I'm not the same person that I was. I've got a new beginning. And friends, that's just one of the stories coming out of Eastside Academy. We're really, really proud that Overlake has a chance to help host and, and partner with Eastside Academy for this kind of transformation. Uh, by the way, they are in the hallway today. They'd love to have you stop by and, and uh, chat with them and, and just give your support to them. But the, the video really does highlight what we're trying to talk about, and that is that every single one of us is on a journey, and the journey is a journey of transformation. Present tense reality, and it's, it's not easy, it's messy, it's hard, it's difficult, but it's something that we need to embrace now because we're becoming now what we will be for eternity. And, and there's some really good news. There's, a, there's sort of a couple of different aspects of this concept of present tense transformation. If you're filling in the blanks, the first piece is such good news. It, it's this, it's that God does the heavy lifting. God does the heavy lifting when it comes to the transformation that's happening in his children, the transformation that's happening in the men and women who are following Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take a look at a couple of passages here. The first is from 1 Thessalonians 5, and it says this, now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. Friends, if you want to circle that, that's the transformation we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. That God is making us holy in every way. We're being transformed. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Like I said, that'll be the, the, the pinnacle, the culmination of history. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. You might want to underline that. God will make this happen. Friends, that is the good news. The, the good news is that God is the one who does the heavy lifting when it comes to our transformation. He is the one who has done it because it was his plan. He, he's the one who provided the, uh, Jesus on the cross. He's the one who's provided grace. He's the one who's provided salvation. He's the one who's inviting us into relationship now, eternity forever. That, that's all the work of God. 
God's the one who has done the heavy lifting, okay? And, 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 and so I just want you to understand, that is good news. Now what I want to do is I want to go to a passage from the book of 2 Peter. If you have your Bibles, you might want to go to this passage. We're actually going to take a look at several verses because it talks about this twofold reality of transformation. The first of which, God is the one who does the heavy lifting. So we're in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. It says this. By his divine power. Okay, you just stop there. Whose power is making this happen? His, right? So it's his divine power at work. He's doing the heavy lifting. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Just circle the word everything. Everything we need. Everything we need for transformation. Everything we need for this lifetime. Everything we need for eternity. God has given us, not by our power, but by his divine power, he has given it to us. Now, look when it is that we received it. We have received all of this by coming to know him. And so that's why I said earlier, when we trusted Jesus, when we came to know Jesus and place our trust and our faith in Jesus, that's when the work of transformation begins. That all of this transformation, by his divine power, God giving us everything we need for a godly life, it all came when we came to know Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so that's the reality that we live. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So what God has done is he has given us everything we need from his power. And the promises that he gives us enable us to share in his nature. So we get this incredible gift added into our lives. This transformation is going to make us like him. And we get to escape corruption caused by the world's desires. So this is incredible now power to avoid what will destroy us. So all that's given by God. God's the one who's doing the heavy lifting when it comes to transformation. Again, that is good news, right? So we just say, thank you, God. That is good news. We accept it. We trust it. We believe it. But I want you to understand that what that does not mean is it doesn't mean now we can just sit back and be lazy when it comes to transformation. No, no, no. There, there's a second part of this equation. If you're filling in the blanks, it's this. We cooperate with God. And that requires effort on our part. So God's the one who does the heavy lifting. He's the one who provides all of the work of transformation, all of the necessary ingredients, if you will. But we are the one, ones who have to cooperate with him as we embrace his transformation in our lives. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue that passage from 1 Peter. Now we're going to be 1 Peter 1, verse 5. It says, in view of all this, in view of what? In view of his power giving us everything we need when we came to know who he was and how he loves us, right? So in, in view of the heavy lifting that God does, look at this. Make every effort. Can you circle that? 
Make every effort. By show of hands, how many of you in this room know the difference between making every effort and making half-hearted effort? Does anybody know the difference between? Yeah, making barely enough effort to be called effort. How many? Yeah, like we, we know the difference between every effort and half-hearted effort. There's another phrase for half-hearted effort, but I can't say it in church. That... that we know that and we see it and we see it, you know, maybe in the workplace or we see it maybe on the sports field. Uh, my, my three kids are in soccer. My wife coaches, I coach. So we know what it's like when a soccer team shows up ready to make every effort and we know what it looks like when they show up ready to make half-hearted effort, ready just to show, oh, I'm here, coach, isn't that enough kind of a thing. I, I was talking to a buddy of mine. He volunteers in his kid's classroom at a local elementary school. And he was saying that one of the teachers just sent out an email to all the parents, basically saying, thank you for volunteering. We would appreciate it if you would actually want to volunteer when you arrive. <laughs> so to do this, please leave your cell phones in the car, right? Because it doesn't do the kids any good to be playing Angry Birds while you're supposed to be reading with them kind of a thing. So, so we know the difference between half-hearted effort and making every effort. And what, what the scripture says here is in view of God's heavy lifting on your behalf, you are now to make every effort to respond to God's promises. And then it says this, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Okay, so it's obvious that there is a way in which we make every effort to cooperate with God's work of transformation. And then it's almost like the Bible gives us a little a prescription, or I don't know what the best metaphor is, but, but maybe the metaphor for some of you that would work here, this is a recipe to follow, okay? So maybe you're here, you're, 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 you know, you're comfortable in the kitchen, so you could just imagine that the scripture here, it's a recipe for us to follow. And what it says here is it says you start with a faith base, Okay? You've already created your faith base. That's what you start with. Because you don't have anything if you don't have faith. And so you say, start with faith. But then it says, supplement your faith, right? So you're going to be adding to. So supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, right? So you just douse it on. What, what's moral excellence? It's goodness or virtue. It's choosing the right and avoiding the wrong. And you're just going to slather it on, right? You're just going to dump it on. You got the moral excellence. You're ready to just mix it all up. Okay, then it says, you, you add to your faith moral excellence, to moral excellence, knowledge. Just a pinch. That's all you need. Why? Because knowledge is kind of like yeast. It's going to grow over time. And, and it's going to grow. And you could imagine sort of the varying degrees of knowledge Somebody says, do you know that guy? And you say, yeah, I know that guy. Um, we're friends on Facebook. Or somebody says, do you know that guy? And you say, yeah, I know that guy. We've been best friends for 40 years. I know everything about him. And so knowledge is going to grow. And what am I talking about? It's your knowledge of Jesus and your knowledge of your relationship with him and your, your confidence in him, your knowledge of how he loves, your knowledge of what he taught, your knowledge of how he lives, right? So all you need is a pinch to start 
but it's going to grow and grow, just like yeast would grow and grow. And, and then it says, you want to add to that knowledge self-control, maybe a couple of cups of self-control, right? You want to put that in. And what does that mean? That means you don't want to be enslaved to your appetites. You want to have self-control. So, so you, you build that in. And then to self-control, patient endurance. So a couple of teaspoons, maybe. Patient endurance, long-suffering. That when you face trials of many kinds, you do not lose heart. You don't give it up, but you're going to be ready to endure. So a couple of teaspoons of that. And then to patient endurance, godliness. And so, yeah, you've got a couple of tablespoons here of godliness. You want to know what godliness is? It's just God-likeness, embracing the character of Christ in your life. And to godliness, it says brotherly affection. So you put in a couple of little brotherly affection, sisterly affection, just treating people with honor across the board, and then maybe four sticks of love at the end, right? You really want that thing. You mix it all up, says then you just, you put it in the oven, 350 degrees, set the timer, one lifetime, <laughs> pull it on out, one transform life, let cool, serve, enjoy, right? It's a, that, that's your recipe for living transform. Now, I realize that's a, that's a baking analogy. That's an analogy for the kitchen. And some of you, you're like, I know where my kitchen is, but that's about it. And, and uh, so maybe for, for some of you, you want to look at the same passage, but the metaphor that you want to use is not baking, it's construction. All right, so just think about this. So, so you start, right, with a foundation of faith. That's what you start. And then you throw up some load-bearing beams of moral excellence. And then you cross it with ballasts of knowledge. And then you frame it all with your self-control. You drywall the thing with patient endurance. And you roof over it with godliness. And then you side the thing with brotherly affection. And then you paint it all with love. And then that's the mansion of transformation that you're going to live in forever and ever. Right? Maybe that's the metaphor that works for you. But I want you to see that no matter how you look at it, whether you look at it as a, a baking kind of thing where you're adding or whether you look at it construction where you're, where you're building, you need to know it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. You can't just sit back and throw your hands up, put your feet up and say, oh, God, you do it. God's done the heavy lifting. He's already provided all the ingredients you need all the materials you need to build, but you're the one that's gonna to have to make every effort. Final analogy here, the analogy, and this is found in the Rooted 201 book. The final analogy I'll use is the analogy of cruise control. A great invention, by the way, cruise control, I love it. You know how cruise control works on your car. You get in the car, you're maybe taking a road trip, you're on the highway or the freeway, and you begin to hit the accelerator, speeding up to your desired speed. By the way, that speed, that's between you and Jesus, okay? <laughs> you choose your speed. And quite often, the speed that you choose is a speed that is really, really similar to all the other cars on the freeway. And the reason why you do it that way is because it's total hassle to get off of cruise control, back onto cruise control. You hate to slow down or speed up. All the time. No, no, you don't like, you want to just pick the speed of the flow of traffic. You set your cruise control and then you never think about your speed again. You don't even look at the speedometer. All you do is steer at that point because you don't have to. You have set your speed on cruise control and that's as fast as you're going. And so you don't even think about it. And some of us, we, 
We do that in our spiritual lives. That we hit the accelerator in our spiritual lives. We begin, we begin to drive in, in our relationship with Jesus just about as fast as the Christians around us are going. We look at how fast they're going. We look at what they're doing. We look at their practice. We look at their generosity. We set our speed based on the people around us. And then once we set our speed, we never think about it again. We just cruise. Now I want you to compare that to, say, an Indy 500 race car driver. By the way, how many of you think that those Formula One race cars are equipped with cruise control? Anybody think they have cruise control in the race car? No, they're, they're not even built with cruise. Why would you want cruise control? The race car driver is not at all interested in cruise control. His goal, her goal, is not to go relatively as fast as the people around them are going. Their goal is to win the race. And so their foot is on the accelerator and all of their attention is on the road ahead and the obstacles and the cars around and they are giving it everything they can. They're driving with their heart and their mind and their soul and their strength because at the end of the day, they're not at all interested in how fast the other cars are going. They're only interested in winning the race. And that's what we are called to do. It's what making every effort looks like. And so, yeah, we, we cooperate with God. And I, and I just want you to see that I, I am so aware this is what's called a paradox. I, I'm so aware. This is one of those things where, on the one hand, we depend on the heavy lifting of our Heavenly Father. And on the other hand, we cooperate with His work by making every effort. So it's a paradox. On the, on the one hand, we, we passively depend upon God's lifting. On the other hand, we actively embrace cooperation with his work. Friends, I love being a part of this family called Overlake. I love it. I love being on the journey with you. I, I can't believe the incredible privilege it has been to be walking this road with you. But let me just tell you what I want for all of us. I want all of us to want to be race car drivers in our faith. I want all of us to be willing to make every effort and to press in and to be intently focused and to go hard after the things of God and to want to, to want to be in relationship with him, to want to be the kind of people ready to experience eternity with him forever and ever. I want us to want to be transformed. And when I talk about all this, when I talk about the realities that, that we have been transformed and we will be transformed and we are being transformed, the reality of God doing the heavy lifting and, and you and I cooperating with his work, to me, from a sort of a philosophical, kind of an argumentative type of approach, for me, it all builds to a singular question. All of this conversation about transformation builds to one question, and the question is, how? How do we do this? How, how do we cooperate with his work? How do we continue this process of transformation in our lives? And the answer to that question, we will talk about next week. <laughs> so you got to come back. You got to pick up the book and you got to go with us on this journey. Friends, you will absolutely love it.
And so what I want to do right now is I just want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's just pray. And let's just pray. And we say, Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you that it is all based on you. It's all built on you. It's all predicated upon you. You're the one who has initiated it. You're the one who has called our name far before we ever thought to call yours. You're the one who's created us in love. God, we want to thank you for doing the heavy lifting when it comes to transformation, that, that all of the supplies we need, all the materials, all the ingredients, it's all been given to us. You've given us everything we need, and for that we're thankful. And now, Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would help us to respond. You'd help us respond to all of this generosity, help us to respond to all this graciousness, that we respond by making every effort to cooperate with your work that you are doing in our lives. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you so much for how you meet us and grace us and continue to be patient with us. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.